This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Folks, welcome to the show and glad you could join us. Uh, I'm John Roseman, your host. The show is called Because I Said So. It's called Because I Said So, because we are here on the show. We are the last remaining hope. <laughs> How's that for self-drama? The last remaining hope for the preservation of traditional biblically-based parenting in America. And those four words, Because I Said So, are intimately associated with a traditional and even biblically-based point of view concerning the rearing of children. Yes, biblically-based, because I said so. Paul, in his letters twice, I believe, says, children, obey your parents in all things. He does not say, obey your parents because they give you a good reason. Obey your parents because they explain themselves adequately. Obey your parents because they offer you a reward. Obey your parents because they threaten you with a horrendous punishment. He simply says, obey your parents. Why should you obey your parents? Because they say so. That's it. Therefore, those four words are reflective of a biblical understanding of how to raise kids. And uh, so the show is called Because I Said So, because we're all about what is now in America called parenting. I don't like the word, but I use it because if I start using words I like, like rearing children, child raising, I run the risk of just kind of beginning to stumble verbally. So parenting, it's a very quick word to, uh, to use and to say. And we're here every, I'm using the royal we, aren't I? Yes, I am. Once again, I, I. I'm here on American Family Radio every Saturday afternoon, 6 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Central, and so on and so forth on American Family Radio stations all over America. So, uh, received an email. And by the way, if you have a question, a comment, a suggestion, a topic that you'd like for me to speak on, during the show, then please send me an email at radio at rosemond, R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D dot com. And I did receive such an email just the other day from a presumably young mother. Uh, it is obvious that anyway, she is young to being a parent. And she writes, I have taught my four-year-old son that he is the boss. I have given him too many choices and too many explanations. I've allowed him to manipulate me, disobey me, and disrespect me. Ever since I began devouring your radio show and newspaper columns, however, my eyes have been opened. Wonderful. What a blessing you've given me today. Thank you so much. It's been a few weeks since I started putting your old school principles into practice, and I've made some progress, but I'm still getting into lots of power struggles with my son, 
After four years of not being the boss, how do I now turn this ship around? I'm finding that he won't obey unless I threaten him with something like a spanking. How do I get him to obey simply because I'm the authority? Now that is an excellent question. And the answer is this, that you turn this ship around by doing exactly what you have been doing with some modifications that I will explain momentarily. The good news is that you realize that you've set some very undesirable precedents. And for most parents, that in and of itself is the biggest hurdle of all. The second biggest hurdle is understanding the proper consequences, and this blows people's minds, are not the key to the proper exercise of parent authority. The idea that parent authority is conveyed vis-a-vis proper consequences properly delivered is a post-1960s understanding that derives from behavioral psychology, which is yet another bogus psychological set of theories, or more accurately stated, a bogus psychological theory system. By the way, slight detour, but relevant to the discussion, B.F. Skinner, the father of behavioral psychology, never proved what he set out to prove. And what he set out to prove was a Darwinian proposition. Listen to it very carefully. He set out to prove, B.F. Skinner, that the same principles that govern the behavior of an amoeba, planarium, rat, dog, pigeon also govern the behavior of human beings. That is Charles Darwin speaking through the centuries using B.F. Skinner as his contemporary mouthpiece. And no psychologist has ever proven that behavior modification works reliably on human beings. Behavior modification works reliably on dogs. You reward a dog for doing something, he keeps on doing it. You punish a dog properly for doing something, he stops doing it. But such is not the case with human beings. And if you are a parent or have ever been a parent, You know this, you just refuse to accept the evidence. There are times when you have rewarded your child for not misbehaving, and he immediately starts misbehaving after he's been rewarded. And there are times when you've punished your child for misbehaving, and it seems as if the punishment caused his behavior to worsen. Why is this the case? Because sinful human beings by nature, are rebellious. Dogs are not by nature rebellious. Rats are not by nature rebellious. Rebellion is uh, unique to human nature. And human beings, therefore, will are likely to rebel, including young children, against any attempt to manipulate their behavior through artificial means, including behavior modification a.k.a. the use of consequences to deliver to discipline a child. Now, hear me clearly. There are times when consequences are appropriate and even necessary. 
But even when they are appropriate and necessary, parents should not invest themselves in the idea that if they use a proper consequence properly, that it's going to work. Because when you use consequences with human beings, all bets are off. You cannot invest in consequences to solve behavior problems that you are having with a child. In fact, parents who rely on consequences almost always wind up doing what you, the mom who wrote the letter that has prompted this segment of the show, what you are now doing, threatening. Parents who rely on consequences almost always wind up threatening. Authority is a matter of a proper presentation. And to help parents begin walking down this very, for today's parents, unfamiliar road, I've broken it down into six essential elements. It's very simple. Write these down. First of all, do not stoop when talking to a child. Do not, quote, get down to the child's level, end quote. I know they've told you to do that. They, being child development specialists, psychologists, blah, 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 don't do it. They're wrong. Stooping down is a submissive posture that undermines a child's perception of adult authority. Stand upright. Number two. Are you writing this down? You should. When giving instructions or communicating decisions, use the fewest words possible. And in many cases, by the way, the fewest words is simply one. No. If you want toys picked up, say, I want you to pick up these toys. If you want a child to get dressed, say, I want you to get dressed. It's time for you to get dressed. Use the fewest words possible. Number three, preface instructions with authoritative statements such as, I want you to, you need to, it's time for you to, you're going to. I want you to pick up your toys. It's time for you to put on your jacket. You need to sit down to the table. You're going to get in your car seat. Number four, do not explain yourself or give reasons for your instructions and decisions. Do not. Let them stand on their own. Almost invariably, explanations lead right into arguments. Number five, when a parent does not give an explanation, the child is prompted by his natural inclination toward rebellion to ask why or why not. Now, don't be fooled. Those are not questions. They are challenges to a parent's authority. They are invitations to do battle, to argue. The proper answer, therefore, to why and why not is because I said so. The title of the show. Contrary to mental health propaganda, there's no evidence that hearing those four words is psychologically harmful. I'm not saying you should scream them or snarl them at a child. Just say them. Child says, why? Just say, well, because I said so. Those four words are, after all, nothing more than an affirmation of the legitimacy of your authority. And lastly, number six, walk away. Say what you have to say. Give the instruction. Because I said so, turn around, walk away. Do not stick around issuing threats. Do not stick around giving the child someone to rebel against. Just walk away. 
Folks, we're coming up on the first break in the show, the only break in the show, actually. The second break in the show is the end of the show. So I hope you stick around through the break and join me for the second half when I'm going to talk a little bit more about psychology. I'm going to read an email I received from a Christian psychologist after last week's show. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're joining us. Glad glad you could stay with us if that's the case. And if this is the first time that you've tuned into the show, I'm John Rosemond, the host. The show is called Because I Said So. It's all about what is today called parenting. And I am carried every Saturday afternoon exclusively on American family radio stations across the country at 6 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Central Last week, uh, I spent the entire show critiquing psychology. Some would say lambasting. As most of you know in my listening audience, I am a psychologist, duly licensed by the North Carolina Psychology Board. The North Carolina Psychology Board regrets the day they ever gave me a license. They have tried to take it away at least three times. They have tried unsuccessfully. I have had to spend a good amount of money on attorneys to inform my psychology board that I enjoy free speech rights, that just because I say in public what they don't like or what they don't agree with does not mean that I should be prevented or punished from saying it or punished for saying it. And uh, uh, believe it or not, this has happened three times now with my own licensing board and the Kentucky Psychology Licensing Board in the year 2013 had the gall, the unmitigated gall, as my mother would have said, to try and force me to remove my syndicated newspaper column from the five Kentucky newspapers that it runs in, including Lexington, Kentucky, because they claimed that by publishing my newspaper column in Kentucky, I was practicing psychology in the Commonwealth of Kentucky without a license issued by them. And they wrote me a letter through the office of the Attorney General of the Commonwealth of Kentucky who said I had 30 days to stop publishing said column and said papers or face, get this, imprisonment. That is how threatening I am to the psychology community in America. And if you think that the fact that I draw such fire from people in my ostensible profession bothers me, no, it does not. It gives me, in fact, great satisfaction to know that I am succeeding in my one-man war against what I believe is a toxic philosophy, a toxic ideology. I said last week that Paul was being, however unwittingly prophetic, concerning psychology when in his letter, the letter that we identify as Colossians, 
Um, oh gosh, excuse me, folks. Do you know what? I left my cell phone on. I'm going to have to turn the cell phone completely off. Isn't that embarrassing? No, it's not really. Okay, it's now off, and uh, I will continue. Okay, so my cell phone is now off. You know, I've got this checklist of things that I do, uh, or I'm supposed to do, before uh, recording a show, including turning off my air conditioning unit uh, so that you know people don't hear this blowing sound in the background, and um, shutting off my cell phone, shutting off the volume on my computer, which is my recording device, And today, unfortunately, I walked in and I thought, well, I can remember what's on that checklist. And I did everything but turn off my cell phone. So my apologies for that. Anyway, I believe that in his letter to the Christian community at Colossae, which we call Colossians, in uh, chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and I believe 10, when Paul warns us against deceptive philosophies that are based on man's own thinking and not on Christ, that he was prophetically speaking about psychology. So anyway, in last week's show, I, some might even say, ranted against psychology because I, and if it, if it sounded like a rant, that's okay, I will admit to it. Because I am very passionate in my belief, uh, my, my belief based on the fact that I am a psychologist and I am a evangelical Christian, a believer in, a follower of Christ Jesus, who believes that Scripture is sufficient in all respects and possesses a biblical worldview, I am very passionate about the fact that I believe that psychology is of Satan. Now, that is a very, you know, almost inflammatory thing to say These in these emotionally sensitive days. It's the kind of thing that even evangelical Christians might wince at. Ooh, psychologies of Satan. Yeah, my esteemed pastor... Dr. Scott Gleason of Tabernacle Baptist, that would be Southern Baptist Church in New Bern, North Carolina, recently did a sermon in which he said that anything we do, any belief we hold, is either consistent with a biblical worldview or not, and if it is not, then it is of Satan. That there is no middle ground, there, is no, there are no shadings of gray between right and wrong, between truth and lies, between God and Satan. And since psychology is not the truth, and it can't be the truth because its theory systems stand in 180-degree opposition to a biblical worldview, there is no overlap between a psychological worldview or belief system and a biblical worldview, then psychology must be lies, must be false, must be, therefore, of Satan. So, in so many words, I said all of that and elaborated on it in last week's show and invited 
psychologists and Christian psychologists, people who call themselves Christian psychologists, and I said last week, and I will repeat, there ain't no such thing. People who call themselves Christian psychologists are kidding themselves because these are antagonistic worldviews, a Christian worldview and a psychological view worldview. They can't be blended. They can't be reconciled. They cannot be adapted to one another in any way, shape, or form. So I invited people who occupy the uh, positions in the profession of psychology to write. And one person wrote, and I'm not going to read their email because it's very, very long, but basically what they said was that I had insulted them and that I had disparaged the four years that they had spent in psychology graduate school and that I had totally dissed their entire life. And and notice now that uh, they did not mount a logical, rational opposition to anything that I said. They simply became emotional, and uh, I hurt their feelings is basically what they said. And they said that they had spent four years, this person, not they, this person, said that she had spent four years in graduate school at a Christian university. And here's part of the problem, folks. Christian universities are teaching secular psychology as if it was fact. And they are not telling their graduate students this stuff is inconsistent with a biblical worldview. It's all lies, but you need to know it because you need to know the enemy very, very clearly, and you need to know the tools and the weapons that he is using in contemporary culture. They're not telling their graduate students this. They're teaching secular psychology, which is the most atheistic profession in the world, as if it was the truth. And so anyway, this person said that I had uh, they had spent all these years learning very valuable stuff and that as a consequence, they were able to help people. Well, let, let me just, and I hope you're in the audience, let me just explain to you that I used to believe the same thing, and I came to the realization after accepting Christ into my life in the year 2000 that, no, I had not learned valuable stuff, I had learned lies. And no, I wasn't helping people, I was simply engaging in spinning wheels in their lives. And I was kidding myself that the people that I was seeing and counseling were being helped by this. And when they didn't show up for appointments and didn't return phone calls after I'd seen them once or twice or three times, I just thought, well, they weren't ready for change in their lives. No, it was because I wasn't being helpful. And after accepting Christ into my life and after looking into and beginning to study and beginning to practice from a, a biblical perspective, beginning to practice biblical counseling instead of secular psychology, I began seeing amazing results in, in, in people, and specifically in parents. And this is what I do today. I go around the country, and I speak in churches and Christian schools primarily, and I tell every audience, and some people I'm aware are more receptive than, than others, that the church should not let psychology get even a foot in the door 
and I'm including Christian psychology because, as I said last week, people who call themselves Christian psychologists are psychologists who are marketing themselves to a Christian audience. That's all they are. They are no different than a secular atheist psychology in terms of their worldview and their potential to do harm. And folks, keep in mind, I've been there and I've done that and I fully admit it and I have repented for the harm that I caused in my career when I was in that stage of my career during which I believed in psychology as a saving force in American culture. Well, again, the most uh, rapid 30 minutes in my life have uh, come almost to an end. Glad you could join us, folks, again every Saturday afternoon exclusively on American Family Radio. And uh, God bless all of you and God bless your families.